Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. We're talking to Doug Bonney. He is the chief counsel and legal director for the American Civil Liberties Union in Kansas. And uh, we're talking to him about the Kansas Board of Regents' decision to update their social media policy, uh, which is getting a lot of discussion online. What's the issue? What are people talking about, Doug? Well, the issue is, uh, first, whether this was even a necessary policy, whether there was any real legitimate reason to implement a social media policy. And uh, we believe the answer to that is no. Uh, And then the current talk is, how is this affecting uh, discourse among faculty and staff people at Regents institutions? And I'm hearing that it is causing people to uh, abandon their social media uh, talk on platforms like Facebook. So when you say, um, you know, we believe there's no need for social media policy, is that basically an uh, ACLU thing? I mean, does ACLU basically say, look, there should be no social media policies at employers? Well, the problem with social media policies, and we're talking about uh, public entities, which are subject to the First Amendment. Uh, The problem with them is that they are extremely hard to write in a way that uh, has any meaning. Either they are over the top in censoring people's protected speech, or uh, they're kind of vague and overbroad, mindless pablum that, poses a risk of uh, chilling people's legitimate free speech interests because they don't know what the policy means. And frankly, that's the problem with the Board of Regents policy. Now, in the private sector, uh, people are concerned about the NLRB, um, the rights of federal workers uh, to have concerted conversations on social media about wages, hours, and working conditions being chilled by a you know private employer's uh, uh, social media policy. Would that same concern apply at a public organization like a university? Uh, restate your question because I, you got me a little bit lost. In I mean, I'm familiar with the NLRB. Uh, rulemaking, but right. Uh, well, obviously, you know the NL uh, National Labor Relations Act protects workers' rights to organize and bargain collectively. You can't be fired for that. It's a federal right. And uh, there's been a number of instances where uh, employers have terminated employers for um, having confidential conversations on social media, which could be about wages, hours, or working conditions. And if those conversations were, in fact, concerted to uh, organize co-workers to try to improve their working conditions, it's protected. And so that's been a common issue that's talked about uh, when private employers talk about 
creating lawful social media policies, that's like one of the biggest challenges. And my, what I wonder is, are, would an employee of a university be protected by the National Labor Relations Act as well, or are, are, are public entities somehow different? Yeah, so the National Labor Relations Act uh, only applies to private sector employers and only private sector employers outside of the railway and airline industries because railway and airline employees have their own labor law that's called the Railway Labor Act. Um, the, uh, I, I spent nearly 25 years as a union side labor lawyer, so I know something about this area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, the NLRA only applies to private sector employers, so it has no application to employees of public universities or community colleges, and that's what the Board of Regents policy talks about. Uh, the employees, though, in Kansas uh, of public universities and community colleges, they have a bargaining law that is in some ways similar, in many ways dissimilar to the NLRA, though. Um, but the underlying, uh, you know, this policy, we're not so concerned particularly about organizing rights in that kind of speech, although certainly these employees would have a First Amendment right to talk about working conditions. Um, we're, we're really worried about people talking about uh, things that are uh, important public issues and then you know, feeling at risk because they've chosen to speak about those issues on a social media, which this policy defines uh, pretty specifically to apply to blogs, wikis, and social networking sites. Um, and so uh, the, the danger is that people will be chilled in their speaking out on issues of public concern. Uh, by this kind of vague and overbroad policy. Clarify one more issue for us. So my understanding, albeit limited, of First Amendment rights is that they apply mostly to the government controlling what people say. And that in the private sector, you know, you do actually, if you're an employee of a private commercial organization, you do actually sacrifice some freedoms when you're in the workplace. How does when it comes to public entities, do are your free speech rights even stronger because you're essentially working for the government? So would it be would you have even greater free speech rights than you would as an employee of a private organization? Well, uh, the the First Amendment applies to governments, not to private entities, and so. Uh, you don't have more rights as a public employee than you would as a non-public employee citizen. The non-public employee citizen has more First Amendment rights uh, than the than the public employee does, and that's because uh, the public employer, as employer, has certain rights to impose very limited regulations on the speech of its employees. Uh, a citizen 
for instance, a citizen can go out and say pretty much anything he or she wants, and the government cannot criminalize that speech. The government as employer might be able to discipline an employee for saying something that, you know, divulging confidential information, for instance, that, that's pretty clear. It's speech, but it's, you know, the right of the public employee to engage in it is limited, so they couldn't do that. Uh, the other issue you're talking about, uh, about private employers infringing on their uh, employees' ability to speak out on certain things, that's true, uh, but it really doesn't have anything to do with the First Amendment. You know, it's that private employers sometimes impose rules. It's fairly rare, frankly, that this happens. It's, you know, an overt rule saying you can't talk about X or Y. In fact, we did a case a few years ago uh, using a Missouri uh, political campaign finance statute that uh, we see the company that had basically told its employees, you can't speak out in favor of uh, non-Republicans. Um, so, you know, that that violated the statute in Missouri that gives, uh, that restricts private employers from imposing restrictions on their employees' political speech. I want to read you a passage from the uh, Board of Regents, Kansas Board of Regents Social Media Policy. It's a passage that I've, I'm reading a lot of people are talking about in the press, and I don't understand something. So it's, it says, three, the United States Supreme Court has held that public employers generally have authority to discipline their employees for speech in a number of circumstances, including but not limited to speech that... And then um, number three says, when made pursuant to the employer's official duties, comma, is contrary to the best interest of the employer. And so a lot of people are saying, well, that's overly vague. But then later on, uh, two paragraphs down, it does say in determining whether an employee's communication is actionable under subparagraph four, the interest of the employer in promoting the efficiency of the public services it performs through its employees must be balanced against the employee's right as a citizen to speak on matters of public concern, which, you know, to me seems pretty reasonable. I mean, that seems not, that doesn't seem too vague. Does that seem vague to you? Where's the danger in that? Okay, th this part of the policy, the two provisions that you quoted from, uh, 3-I-I and, and the final part of 3-I-V um, actually refer to specific Supreme Court cases on public employee free speech. Uh, little I-I where it talks about, uh, you know, speech made pursuant to the employee's official duties, that comes from a, a case um, called Sabias versus Garcetti. And there, the public employee who was a uh, prosecutor, assistant prosecutor in L.A., uh, spoke 
on something as part of his job. And the Supreme Court held essentially, well, you don't have First Amendment rights uh, that protect you when your speech is part of your job. I, I disagree with that holding, but that's what the holding was. The other part you talked about, the balancing test, that comes pretty much straight out of uh, a 1960s case, really one of the first public employee free speech cases, uh, a case called Pickering versus Board of Education. Uh, and so the Supreme Court does apply a, a balancing test in these cases. Uh, the vagueness of the policy actually pops up in other places uh, where it talks about uh, uh, improper use of social media, but it never really defines improper use. So there's no real way for employees to figure out, oh, what's this mean? And so it's going to mean that people err on the side of an amendment of caution, and really that's not what the First Amendment's about. The First Amendment is about making sure there's an, a wide open and robust debate on public issues and uh, where governments impose this kind of vague and overbroad policy, it really uh, crimps the style of people to engage in that wide open debate. And so it hurts the democracy as a whole. You know, given your sort of knowledge of the history of th these types of uh, policies and and of free speech and civil liberties, does does this strike you as bizarre that this policy actually gets written and then it gets approved by the district attorney? I mean, do you see this type of thing happening in other states frequently, or is this sort of an outlier? Well, this one came about uh, for a very specific reason. A journalism professor at the University of Kansas, uh, right after the Navy Yard shooting last September, posted a, you know, kind of uh, inflammatorily worded tweet uh, that... I have it. Let me, just read it. Let me just read it for yeah, people who haven't it. seen it. It says, hashtag Navy Yard shooting. The blood is on the hands of the hashtag NRA, period. Next time, comma, let it be capital your sons and daughters, period. Shame on you, period. May God damn you, period. Right. And so that led to threats by various legislators to cut off funding to the University of Kansas and you know, probably, frankly, broader than that. Um, and there were calls for this professor's head. The thing is that I don't think anybody that has seriously looked at this has said that that professor's speech, whether it was well-advised or not, that's a different issue. But everybody agrees that that tweet was protected by the First Amendment and that that professor could not have been legitimately fired for making that tweet. But that tweet is what caused the Board of Regents to adopt this policy. And really, it's kind of uh, your typical overreaction to one incident in adopting a policy that there wasn't a real clear need for, and that's where we are now.
how could the argument be made that this professor is in some way a representative of the university for which he works? How Walk us through that. Well, he, he sent that tweet on his own account uh, from his home, away from the university, not using any university assets, property, or time. He wasn't being paid by the university at the time. Um, and so I don't think there's any way you can make it that that was somehow uh, university speech. So just to wrap this up for us, um, so you're saying, or you're, the ACLU basically says, look, you can't do social media policy. It limits people's civil, civil, civil liberties. But at the same time, you know, there's this host of rules and regs out there that impact how you can and cannot lawfully use social media. And while you may have freedom of speech, I mean, there are certainly consequences to free speech, you know, defamation, harassment, discrimination, invasion of privacy, all these different things. So how, do you, how should an employer, in this case a public employer, best protect itself from getting in trouble for the actions of its employees? I mean, is it policy? Is it training? Is it both? What's the right way to go? Well, both of those things, appropriate policies that are limited to conduct at the workplace, you know, uh, that's where the universities have the authority to regulate their employees' conduct. Um, and so, say, you know, uh, there, there can be First Amendment issues to these policies, but uh, any prudent university will have a sexual harassment policy, for instance. And so a, a well-crafted sexual harassment policy and other limited policies like that are important to have, and then appropriate training. But just a broad brush uh, policy that says, you know, you can't use social media if if it affects the university or something like that. That's that's not not going to fly. Doug Bonney, Chief Counsel and Legal Director for the ACLU Foundation of Kansas. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Bye bye. been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at OnTheRecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com.